You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale closes out our sermon series, I Love My Church. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you out. Thanks for making the trip out this morning. I know the weather is not really cooperating what we'd want. The, you know, the groundhog said early spring, but that doesn't count for Kentucky. We do our own thing with the weather, and so it's going to be like 60 by the end of the day. So, I mean, freezing rain this morning, 60, and then cold again tomorrow. So, anyway, we're glad, you, glad that you're here, that, glad the weather didn't stop you from getting out this morning. This morning, we are finishing up our series that we've been doing for the last several weeks, I Love My Church. And so, uh, before we get into the, uh, to the end of that, I want to tell you what's coming up. Uh, in two weeks, on the 24th, Bobby, uh, Bobby Thompson, our student minister, he's going to be bringing the message, and I'm excited for him to, to speak. I'm excited for you all to hear him. Uh, he has been doing, he and Chelsea, Chelsea, you know, we hired as our children's director, they've just been doing a great job of, of putting things into place, putting programs into place to disciple our children, to, you know, for Chelsea, it's to disciple them to make them into stronger students. For Bobby, it's to disciple them to make them into stronger adults. And so we're, we're just um, thrilled that we have both of them on staff in the job that they're doing. And so I'm excited for Bobby to preach in a couple of weeks. He's going to be talking about uh, just the, the, the importance of discipling our children and our students so that they become strong Christian disciples. Following that, that message, the first Sunday in March, March the 3rd, we're going to begin a new series called the, the Judges. And so as you can guess from that, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Judges. And on that Sunday, March the 3rd, it marks about eight weeks out from Easter. And so it, it seems like we just did Christmas and we're, we've, we've only been in 2019 for just a, a few weeks, but Easter is on the way. And so start thinking now about who you can invite and bring with you to church for Easter. There are two times of the year where people are more likely to accept an invitation to church than any other time of the year, Easter and Christmas. And so we've got one of those opportunities. And in fact, one study says that like 70% of people, or actually it may even be higher than that, I think it's like 90% of people, said that they would come to church if they were just invited. If they were just invited, they would come. But then it's like 70% of evangelical Christians, that means us, 70% don't invite anybody to church. So they would come if we will ask them. So be thinking about now who it is that, that you need to ask and who, who God might be laying on your heart. Start thinking about it, start praying about it, and then as we get closer to that time, uh, you, can, you can be inviting them. So we're going to be in the book of Judges. That's going to begin our march or our journey toward Easter. I know that seems like an odd place to start as we start thinking about Easter, but I promise as you will see, it will all tie together. Next Sunday, next Sunday, we're, we're not going to be in a series that's going to be just kind of a, a one-off sermon, but I've got an important question that I want you to start thinking about now that we're going to talk about next week, okay? The question is this. Is what, do, is what we believe or does what we believe make any practical difference? Does what we believe make any practical difference? And I know because I've been in church my whole life that the knee-jerk reaction, the knee-jerk answer to that, everybody has the same one. Because I know when I first started thinking about that question, I had a very, a very strong knee-jerk action to, uh, reaction to that. I want to invite you to come back next week because... I think the answer may be different 
than what we initially think it is. So does what we, make, does what we believe make any practical difference? Did I? Okay. All right, this morning we are, as I said, we're wrapping up I Love My Church series. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea of loving the church and what it means to love the church. We talked about in the very first week that the characteristic, the the trademark of all Christians should be that we are known by the way that we love one another. Then the following week, we talked about building community with each other, getting beyond the fences that we build uh, around our lives and getting to know the real people and doing life together. We've talked about serving in the church. We've talked about how God has gifted us with supernatural abilities and, and, and that our job in those abilities is to serve other people, that we weren't given those gifts, those talents for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others, for the common good. Last week, we talked about the, the importance of, of generosity and meeting the needs of people within our own church. You know, we talk a lot about meeting the needs of, of people and, and programs outside of the church, but oftentimes within our very own walls, there are needs here that need to be met. And so I asked you last week to just spontaneously kind of just give what you had to give. And whatever it was, that, like the first church did, give all that you could. And, and I'll just tell you that I was overwhelmed by the generosity of our church you you responded to the to the call well um, and because of your generosity we met we were able to meet the needs of several folks and there have been several folks that we know of needs for this week that we're going to be able to help meet those needs because of the way that you responded because of your give your kindness and your generosity so well done and thank you for that this morning as we wrap up we're going to talk about sharing now, as we get into that, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over to that. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. But as, as, you're, as you're thinking about the, that passage, as you're uh, maybe flipping over there, think about this. Think about a restaurant that you love to eat at. How many of you like to go out to eat to a restaurant? Most of us, right? If, if you lived in my household, you would, that would be a, a, an emphatic yes because Christy and I, neither one, like to cook, and so we eat out more than we eat at home. We, we are I, I, connoisseurs, I guess is the word I want to use. We are connoisseurs of the local restaurants around here. And so we know what makes a good restaurant. I, I have uh, strong opinions about some of our restaurants, some good, some bad, but I have strong opinions about them. But what makes a good restaurant a good restaurant? I think there are two things. It, it's, there's two things when we think about, is that a place I want to go and eat? Is the food any good? That's obviously one. Is the food good? And what's the atmosphere like? What, what's the, the environment like? Those are the two things that make a good restaurant a good restaurant. If you have great food, but the atmosphere is not so great, service is not so great, we may not go back there. If we go somewhere and the atmosphere is really great, the service was fantastic, but the food is... Oh, you know, I can probably cook that better at home. Then we may not go back there. But when we get great food and a great atmosphere, that's the place we want to be, right? I'll give you a couple examples of how this plays out. Disney, uh, in, in Disney World, one of their restaurants is the, uh, the Buzz uh, Lightyear. I don't even re- remember what it's called, but it's the Buzz Lightyear-themed restaurant. And it's got a great atmosphere. You go in there, and, and it's Toy Story galore, Buzz Lightyear space to infinity and beyond and all that kind of stuff. And if you are a Toy Story fan, this is a great place to go. And then you go in and you order, and you get your food, and 
what you find out is it's really just an overpriced, undercooked hamburger. And it's not all that great. Sir, the, the environment, the atmosphere is fantastic. Food, not so much. On the, on the flip side, you go to a place like the Navy Pier restaurant there in Chicago, and they have great food. Their food is outstanding. But their atmosphere, their environment, it's not so great. And, and besides that, there's a lot of Cubs fans there, and so you can do without that. A great dining experience really comes from, from those two things, food and atmosphere. I love the, uh, the Bubba Gump restaurant. Bubba Gump restaurant is one of my favorite restaurants. It has great food, and it's got great atmosphere. They have all, if you're a Forrest Gump fan, which I am, it's one of my favorite movies, probably my favorite movie, and it has all the, you know, Forrest Gump memorabilia. Your, how you get your waiter's attention is uh, by, by a little plaque they, or a little sign they put on your table, and it says uh, there's a stop sign, you know, because when Forrest was running and playing football, they had to tell him to stop, and so there's a big stop sign if you want uh, them to stop at your table on the other side if it, if everything's good and you don't need anything you put you put you flip it around and it says run run forced run and you, that's their way of telling you. they come by and they do trivia with you and I'm just going to tell you when they come to to our table and do force gump trivia you want to be on my team okay you want to be on my team because we're going to win it's a great it's great food and it's a great atmosphere and so when we're around a bubble gump place that's where I want to eat those are the two things. So if you're, if you're a math person, you've got to put something into the equation. Here's the equation. Food plus atmosphere equals experience. Food plus atmosphere equals experience. And that's how you will determine whether or not you want to go back to that place or not, whether you have a good experience or not. When you hear about a new restaurant coming to town, those are the two things we ask about, right? How's the food and what's the feel? What's, the, what's it like? So let's apply that, that concept. Food plus atmosphere equals experience. Let's apply that to our church setting to the I love my church series here's the thing Jesus has given us new lives without fences lives that are part of the new community that he is creating this life in this community in his kingdom is is life as it was meant to be this is life to the fullest life abundant this is it's how how God always intended life to be and that means that that it's life for everyone God intended this life in this community to be for all people. What's John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, right? World, that's all-inclusive. God so loved the world that all would come to know him so that all would be a part of this community, a part of this kingdom. And so when we have this new identity, we have this new set of values, we have this new set of ethics to live by, that should be evident in the way that we live so that all people will recognize that, so that all people might come to be a part of that. God wants all people to know the life of salvation and, and forgiveness and, and the life of peace and the life of healing and the life of, of purpose and hope. And so here's the question that we, we have to answer as we consider in our series. How do people come to this new life with God? How do people hear and discover? How do they experience the kingdom of God? Well, let's go to that passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5. See what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, we pick this up. It's kind of the, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, lays out several values and principles. And this is what he says in verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Here's what I want us to see from this, that God is entrusting us to create the kingdom experience. God is entrusting us, God has given us the responsibility to create the kingdom experience for other people. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice what he says, verse 13, he says, you me, us, we are the salt of the earth. Well, what's salt do? We, you've probably, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this before. Salt brings taste, right? It's a, it's a flavoring agent. It brings taste to bland food. It preserves. Someone gives you a plate of food and it's not really up to snuff. What's the first thing that, that comes out of your mouth? Hey, will you pass me the salt? Right? And you take that salt shaker and you, you flavor up your food. Don't miss what, what Jesus is telling us in this metaphor. He is making it clear how necessary and important we are, we the church are, for the welfare of the world. Because we have experienced a transformation in our lives as, as we have come to this kingdom of heaven, as we have become a part of, of the kingdom. It is now nece- he's telling us how necessary our presence is for other people. So that other people might come to be a part of the kingdom. So that we might be influencers of good. So that we might be the agents of change that our world needs to see. He says, we are the salt of the earth. We, we ask this question all the time. When we look at our world, we say, what's happened to our world? What's going on in our world? It's so much, there's so much evil in the world, right? And, and there is. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of evil in the world. It's, it's evident every day. But is it more evil than it was in the days of Noah when God, it was so evil that God said, I've got to start all over? I've got to send a flood so I can start all over? Is it more evil than it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? Is it more evil than it was in the days of the judges that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks? The truth is, it's probably not. And, and I don't really know. I wasn't there. But, but when we look at the world today and we see there's a lot of evil, you know why we recognize so much evil? Because there's an absence of salt. He said, we are the salt of the earth. If, if we're going to make the world a better place, then it's going to start with us. Why in the world, and you see this played out in politics all the time, why in the world would anybody want to make the world a better place for the common good if they didn't have a relationship with Jesus? The truth of the matter is, is that they don't. They don't want to. Because, because people, humans, we are naturally, we're naturally greedy and we're naturally power hungry. We, we want everything for ourselves. And so if we make something better and it benefits everybody, well, well, great. But that probably wasn't the motive behind it. The motive was probably to make things better for me. That's what we see in the world today for, for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. But we, us, the church, we are, we are the salt of the earth. And so our job is to, be, is, is to, is to bring fla- flavor to a bland world. Our job is to influence good in our, in our daily circles. Then he says, you're the light of the world. In Jesus' time, they had those small wicker oil lamps, and, and they ve- gave very little light to a house. Um, and in the average house there in Jesus' day, they would have had very few windows. Most houses probably didn't have any windows. 
How many of you have been to Mammoth Cave? Anybody been to Mammoth Cave? And so you've done the big tour where they take you into the great big room and they turn off all the lights and they tell you, put your hand in front of your face. And you do that, and because it's your hand and you know you put it in front of your face, you know it's there. But if you were dependent on seeing it, you wouldn't know it was there, right? It's so dark in that room. And then the, the tour guide, he'll take his flashlight and he'll hold it up and he'll turn it on. And there's just a little bit of light. But that little bit of light chases away the darkness. That's what, that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to be the light of the world, to chase away darkness, because that's what light does. Light removes darkness. And in the same way that Jesus' life and message of salvation brought light, light to us, his followers, his disciples, our job is to be a, limit, a living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of, of God to others. We are to be light, salt and light. Don't miss this metaphor either because, like we said, light removes darkness. So we not only carry the light of the gospel, the light of the kingdom of God, but we are that light. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our transformation has produced light in us. And it affects every aspect of our being, or at least it should. It should affect every part of who we are. It should turn us into positive influencers in a very sin-darkened world. As salt and light, we bring the taste and the atmosphere of Jesus' kingdom to the world. So if food plus atmosphere equals experience, then the experience of the kingdom comes from his followers. If food plus atmosphere equals experience, then we bring the experience of the kingdom of God to the world. It amazes me to think what God has entrusted his church with. It really is amazing to think about what God has entrusted the church with. The, the Father trusted people to, to manage His creation. And, and from the very beginning of time, God has been giving us things to, to take care of. Genesis 1.26, it says, Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God entrusted us to take care of His creation. And now that he has established his kingdom, Jesus entrusts us to curate his culture. We are to bring taste. We are to bring light. We are to bring the, the Jesus kingdom experience to our community. So let me ask you this. You, you think about it in these terms. You don't like how, how our community is. Maybe you live in E-Town. You don't like how, how your city is. Are you salting it? You don't like... Um, how, how our culture is so dark, you're discouraged by that? Let me ask you this, are, are you lighting our culture? Are you lighting it up? Because if our culture is bland and dark, then we need to get to salt and lighting. There's not, it's not that there's a result of more evil in the world, it's a result of less salt and light in the world. We've got to be salt and light. And so when we intentionally love one another, when we intentionally use our gifting and, and live out the love of God toward one another and outside and, and, and the world and outside of these walls, we are, we are salting the bland and we're bringing light to the darkness. See, saying I love my church, it isn't just about us. It doesn't just impact us. It's about everyone outside of these walls as well. You've heard me say this before, but the church was never intended for the people that are already here. The church was never built for those who are already here. The church was built for those who haven't gotten here yet. And the church is bigger than just these four walls. And so we've got to, to keep in mind 
That everything that we say, when we say I love my church and we, we, we do things like that, it impacts everything that we should be doing out there. So how do we bring this I love my church experience to our culture? Well, there's, there's three principles that I want to talk about real quickly. The first one is this. That people will experience Jesus' community when we live out its values. People will experience Jesus' community, this, this new community, this new kingdom that we're part of. They will experience that when we live out its values. Matthew chapter 5 that we, we read, verses 13 through 16, if you read the previous passage, uh, verses, you can't separate those two. Verses 2 through 12, we, we would call those the Beatitudes. You've probably heard, it, heard it, those, um, that passage referred to that way before. And they are not an introduction, okay? They're not an introduction to this sermon. Uh, and then, you know, the salt and light really begin the sermon. That's not, ex- not at all. They are part of the same thought. You cannot separate those two. You know, verses 2 through 10, we've got the Beatitudes. That's, and when you read that, those are the values of the kingdom of God. You want to know what Jesus values? You want to know what burdens Jesus? You want to know where his heart is? Read Matthew 5, 2 through 10, because it's in that you will see the values of the kingdom of God. In verses 11 and 12, we, we get the promise, and there are two promises in, that, in those two verses. There's a promise of persecution, that things won't be easy for us, but there's also a promise of reward, that if we stay faithful, there's a reward. And then verses 13 through 16, what we, we just read, that's the charge, that's the call, that's the mission, to be salt and light. That's the mission. But this salt and light metaphor, it comes out of the Beatitudes. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God through re- regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. He transforms us. And this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it produces us in us a poverty of spirit, a, a broken spirit, mourning and meekness and righteousness and mercy and purity and peace. The, the Beatitudes, these are characteristics of disciples of Jesus. These are characteristics of people that allow God to establish His kingdom in His way. This is, this is the kingdom life that God puts in us. And when we demonstrate it to the world, we're saying that these Beatitudes, that, that these are how we should live. These are, these are a character profile of a person who says, I love my church. So seasoning and and shining, it isn't only about the message that we declare with our lips. I hope that we understand that. It's not about just what we say, but it's about how we go about our lives. It is lifestyle. Lifestyle is the emphasis here. We cannot say that we love the church and then go out and live a life that is completely contradictory to that. If we do, uh, when we separate lifestyle from message, you know what we, we have a word for that. You know what that word is? Hypocrite. And there are a lot of people in the, in the world that have that opinion of the church, that the church is full of hypocrites. You know why? Because they've seen a lot of people in church separate lifestyle from the message. They've, separ- they've said, I, I love the church, I love God, I love Jesus, I love all of the things that, that Christians ought to love. And then they go out and they're not kind people. They're not generous people. They're not loving people. They're not joyful people. They're mean-spirited. And when people see that, they go, why would I want anything to do with that? I want nothing to do with that. But on the flip side, when you see people who are joyful and generous and kind and nice, when we see people that are like that, those are, those are hallmarks of people who follow Jesus. And when the world sees that instead of the other, then people want to be a part of our community. 
When we live a life that's full of the Beatitudes, when we live uh, a life that is, reflects the values of the kingdom of God, we bring flavor to a bland and rotting world. The values in you as you live in the kingdom bring light to a world full of darkness. And people will experience the kingdom of God. They will experience the kingdom of God when we live out its values. These values show us how to love the church outside of the church. We cannot separate message from lifestyle. Second thing is this, is that we live the values of Jesus' community in our daily ordinary. We live the values of the kingdom of God, of Jesus' community, in our daily ordinary. There was a brilliant guy, and I use brilliant in the most sarcastic uh, way possible. There was a brilliant guy who... Uh, back in 2013, overdosed on soy sauce. Now, there's a lot of things that people overdose on, and soy sauce is probably not high on the list. But there's a a story from Fox News about a man who who drank too much soy sauce. His 19-year-old college student was dared by his friends to drink some soy sauce, so he drank a quart of soy sauce. And as you might imagine, that's a lot of salt to go into your system, and so he went into a coma. And nearly died from an excess of salt in his body. And according to one of the the reports from it, this 19-year-old boy who was dared by his friends to do this, uh, he was very lucky. He came out on the other side of this with having no neurological deficits. And he was regarded as one of the first, maybe one of the only people to have overdosed on sodium and did not have neurological deficits. I share this story because it applies directly to how we live. Because we are called to bring salt and light to our world. And, and they can, so that other people can experience the kingdom. Not so that they can be blinded by the sun or o- overdosed on sodium. So the question we need to answer is, are we seasoning and shining? Or are we blinding and gagging? Let me give you an example of, of how this plays out. I have seen on a couple of occasions that a couple of our colleges in the state of Kentucky specifically at Campbellsville University and the University of Kentucky but I know it has taken place at other campuses as well there's one guy that goes and he has a sign and he carries the sign and, he stand, and it says repent uh, and repent and turn to Jesus something like that something along those lines and he stands on the on the corner of one of the streets and as college students go to their class he screams and yells at them and tells them about all the all the evils that they're participating in and how that's going to send them to hell Now, the truth of the matter is that his message on his sign, it's not wrong. People need to repent and turn to Jesus. And the truth of the matter is is that what he's saying is probably not far off. But you know, as as I have personally observed this, I've never seen one college student stop and repent and turn to Jesus because of that. I've never seen anybody actually engage the man in a positive way. What I have seen is people laugh at him, people point fingers at him and, and call, him, call him names, call him crazy, call, call him an idiot. I've seen people engage him in arguments and people um, to the point where police have had to be called. What I've not seen is anybody ever say, you know, he's right. I need, to, I need to turn to Jesus. I need to repent. I need to turn to Jesus. And I can guarantee that nobody has ever left an experience with this guy in, when he's doing this saying, you know, I want to love Jesus. I want that to be a part of my life. Nobody has ever, ever done that. The truth, his sign is, his sign is right. His message is, is not far off. But just because it's correct doesn't mean it's effective. 
I'd argue that this is pouring a gallon of soy sauce down somebody's throat. No one walks away from those signs thinking that I need Jesus. Now, let me give you an example of seasoning and shining because that's blinding and gagging. Let me give you an example of seasoning and shining. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine was taking some classes at Louisville Bible College, and in this class they had been talking about uh, when, you, when you do something for the least of these, you, you do it for Jesus. And this had been kind of hammered over and over and over in this class. And so a friend was uh, driving up to Louisville for class one day, and he had to stop and get gas. And so he actually stopped it up here at exit 94 and got off at the E-Town exit and was going to go to the five-star right there, get some gas, and get back on his way. As he got on the ramp, he noticed that there's a homeless guy standing on the, on the left-hand side, and his sign said, I need food. It did not say, I need money, or we'll work for food, or we'll work for money, or we'll, any of that. It just said, I need food. And so the, the, my friend, as he pulled off, he saw, he saw the guy, he pulled off, he got his gas. He runs into the store, he's going to get him a soft drink. And as he's in that, salt, in that store, he keeps hearing over and over and over in his head, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. Whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. Whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And so my friend sa- said, I just I became overwhelmingly convicted that I needed to, the man says he needs food, I need to get him some food. So I went and got him a bottle of water, he said, and I went and got him a, a deli sandwich. Now there's a small little problem, though. When he pulls out, when he pulls out where he needs to go is right on the right-hand side. He needs to go north on 65. The man's standing on the, the other side of the road. No way to get to him. Traffic's coming, there's no way to get to him. So... He says the only thing he could do was get back in the, on the southbound lanes of the interstate, go down to one of those little turnarounds where, you know, it says, says no U-turn, but they put them there for you anyway. Ryan, I don't know why you all do that. And I'm told it's a $500 fine for doing that. And so he, he went down, he got one of those, he hit the first one of that, and he was going to come back up and get off there at 94 and hand, hand the food. So he does that, makes the little U-turn there, and guess who happens to see him? You know, that's right there by the state police post, and one of our finest uh, boys in blue sees him. Doesn't, doesn't turn his lights on, just gets in behind him and observes him. When he gets off the ramp, he, uh, he or gets to the ramp, he rolls down his window, hands out his bottle of water, hands out the sandwich to the man, and he gets ready to turn left. He's going to go down to the, you know, the Cracker Barrel parking lot, turn around, and get back on his way. When he turned left, blue lights hit. So he pulls in the parking lot, and the police officer walks up to him and says, I saw you make that turn back there, that U-turn on the interstate. I'm not going to give you a ticket for that. But I, wanna, but I also want to just tell you, look, we're trying to discourage people from handing out food and handing out help to, to people standing on the side of the interstate. It's, they're in a dangerous spot. If you need to help them, help them. But help them in a more safe way because he's in a really bad spot there. It's dangerous. He's, he could cause a wreck. He could get hit. It's just dangerous. And the, my friend said, you know, I understand all that. I, I, I'll certainly do that. I just I saw his sign, and I just felt convicted that I needed, to, I needed to be Jesus to this guy today. And the police officer said, well, it's funny you say that because me and God aren't really getting along right now. He said, I, you really think that you need to be Jesus to this guy? And my friend said, yeah, yeah. I, whatever you do to the least of these, you, you've done unto me. That's what Jesus said, and I just... For whatever reason today, that's, that was the message that just God has given to me. So the police officer and my, my friend began to have a conversation about this, about the need to help others. And what my friend discovered is that the, the reason the police officer and God weren't getting along at the time was because the, the man's wife had just left him. 
And he, there was a lot of stuff going on in his life that, that just didn't seem to make sense. And as God was, quote unquote, picking on him. So my friend began to share the hope of, of the gospel with this officer. Began to, to share what Jesus could do in restoring his marriage. And so for about 10 minutes they talked and then my friend prayed with him and he gave him the, the name and number of a couple local churches here in Hardin County. And they stayed in contact through, uh, through Facebook. And wouldn't you know that that man, he, he would go to church, he'd get his life together, he'd get his family together, he got his marriage together. His, his marriage has been restored. He's now, he and his wife, raising their kids together in, in church all because one person decided they were going to season and they were going to shine. They weren't going to blind and they weren't going to gag. They were going to season and they were going to shine. It's really easy to carry a sign around in a crowd. It's a lot more difficult to be Jesus in the ordinary and in the mundane. But it's in the trivial day-to-day stuff at the office, at the school, at the gym, on the job where people need to experience Jesus. And when they experience us they experience the kingdom of God it's in the trivial day-to-day stuff that we need to be salting and lighting not gagging and blinding think about your daily routine think about your co-workers your classmates your your neighbor the person that you carpool with the people that you run into while you're while you go about your day know this that that people will experience the kingdom from you in normal everyday ordinary situations and when they experience the kingdom of God in you in the ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. You, me, us, we are the vessel in which the kingdom of God, people will experience the kingdom of God. Last thing, and we'll, we'll close, we'll wrap this up real quickly. Last principle is this, that those who have truly experienced Jesus will help others experience Jesus. Those who have experienced Jesus will, will go out of their way to help other people experience Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4, 5, 14 through 16? A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives, it, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I hope that if we've learned anything over the last few weeks from this series, that we've learned that loving the church isn't about, built, isn't about a building. It isn't about a program. It isn't about anything that we usually make loving the church about. It's about relationships. That loving the church is, is about relationships, primarily our relationship with the Father, but also our relationship with one another. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop there. We also have to love those who are outside of these walls. Think about the very first week, if you can remember that far back, the very first week in this series. We read John chapter 13, verse 35, and this is what it says. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that people will know that we are a part of this community, the way that people will know that we are a part of the kingdom of God is if we love one another. So here's the thing, how can all people observe us having a reputation of love if we're never around people? I get it, the world's a big, a big evil, dark, scary place, and sometimes it would be easier just to go into our little corner and retreat and hide and wait for Jesus to come back, right? It would be a lot easier, it would be a lot safer. But you can't season and shine when your ordinary is separate from the bland darkness. 
our church, our life groups, uh, our youth groups, any of our programs that we do, they're all designed to assist us to grow and become a stronger community of faith. And when we become a, a stronger community of faith, we're strengthening our saltiness and our brightness. But if you're never interacting with people outside of the church, what good is it to be salty or bright? If you never, if you never come into contact with people who don't go to church, who people who, who don't know Jesus then what difference does it make if we know Jesus? I get that we're not called to be of the world. We're not to be worldly. We're not to be of the world, right? I get it. But being of the world and connecting with the world are two different things. And we cannot be uh, part of God's kingdom without trying to influence this, king, this world. We cannot be a part of God's world if we don't try to influence this world. We have to be a part of it. There's no way around it. We, we, can, we can retreat into our own little holy huddle and, and you know, it's us four and no more and all those kind of things. We can, we can do that. But there's a lost and dying world that are just outside of these walls. And our call is to be salt and light so that people, people who do not know Jesus will experience the kingdom of God. And I get it that some of those people that don't know Jesus, some of them are really good people. And that's the, really, that's the really tragic thing is that there are a lot of good people who are going to end up in hell because they don't, they don't know Jesus. But some of them, we would say they're not, they're not what we would call quality individuals. They're not good people. In fact, I've heard churches say those, aren't, those are the kind of people that we don't want coming to our church, right? May that never be said about us. May we never say that, that those are, those are the kind of people that we don't want. In fact, I would argue that that's exactly the kind of people that we want coming to our church because it's the kind of people that need Jesus. People who need Jesus, we want them to, to come to our church because we have the hope and the power of the gospel. And if that doesn't transform this church, if that doesn't transform communities, if that doesn't transform lives, nothing else will. We cannot depend on social programs, on the government, on any other group to, to do what God has called the church to do. Hear me on this. The church has a very, a very specific mission. We've been given a very specific task. And for too long, we've relegated that to other groups. We've, we've said, let the government take care of widows and orphans. Let the government do this. Let other groups do that. No, this is our job. We cannot relegate this to anybody else. The world will never know about life to the fullest, about what kingdom living is like. If we are not salt and light, it's really that simple. It really is that simple. It is our job, nobody else's. It is our job. So a question that sometimes is asked and one that really needs to be asked by all churches is this. If our church ceased to exist, would the neighborhood mourn? Would the neighborhood say, no, 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 you can't go. We, we need you. Would the neighborhood stop us from going? Or if they were to... Or if we were to cease to exist, would they even notice? We must be a church that they would miss. Not for our own sake, not for our own reputations, but because they are experiencing Jesus when they experience us. I love my church. And I believe that you all love your church. And, I believe, and what, what I want more than anything else is for more people to love our church not because it's going to make Glendale Christian Church famous, not because it's going to bring in more money or give us better attendance, not for any of those reasons, but because it's going to mean that more people 
are experiencing the kingdom of heaven as a result of us loving the church and loving one another. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we, uh, we thank you for the way in which you love us. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us, for the, the, uh, the gift of your Son. And in that gift, we find forgiveness that we so desperately need. We find grace and mercy. We find salvation. So, Father, may you empower us. May you, you encourage us to, to live those values out those beatitude values, that we would live those in such a way that people would take notice. And when they take notice, they would say, what, what makes them different? And we'd be able to tell them about Jesus. We'd be able just to love them well. Father, it's my prayer that you would start bringing us people who do not know Jesus, who do not know you, that you would, you would just bring them to us and that we would... Uh, that we would receive them we would accept them that we would love them that we would point them to you but father i know this is not something that is uh is one of those things where if you build it they will come this is a if you go you will find and so father i pray that you would help us to go with with reckless abandon we would go and we would find people because they're everywhere we would find people who need to know you who need to be a part of this new community that you have created, this community known as the church. And in doing so, we would point them to your son. We would point them to abundant hope, and abundant joy, and abundant life. Father, may you give us the courage and the boldness to go. We thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.